sit down, I'll listen, wait, relax my dudes, it's not too late to join in with these awesome fans, marble at there. Some chips and OC fix and mean to meet the best girl queen, a hydrant squad that just won't wait to ignore all the toxic shit. It's a podcast. It's also a gun. Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Monster Review Girl. You guys have probably heard my, me introduce myself before in the D&D podcast Dice Sesh. Uh, please go check that out if you're interested. Anyways, I'm here today with Splinterverse or Jimmy Flowers, however you prefer to be called. Uh, feel free to introduce yourself. <laughs> Hey, I'm Jimmy. I also am known as Splinterverse, and I have a YouTube channel, and I uh, talk about D&D on the channel, and I also make D&D books. Awesome! That also tackles the, for those in the audience who don't know who you are, who are you and what do you do questions, so... Awesome! Yep. So, time to ask a question that kind of is going to get asked a lot whenever you... Whenever you're doing an interview that's D&D related, uh, how did you get into it? Um, into D&D or into the books? Or both? Both. <laughs> yeah, so D&D, I'm, I actually started playing in like the 90s, believe it or not, when I was much younger than I am now. And I just, you know, I was into acting at the time. I was into writing. And it just kind of was a natural fit, right? Because there's so much storytelling, there's so much opportunity to be an actor, you know, when you play the character. And so it was just kind of a natural fit. And I used to, I used to drive uh, the, the party wild because I would, I would actually come up with incantations for my spells, you know, and I would act those out when, whenever I had to cast a spell and, you know, so it was just kind of a fun thing. And then over the years, I, I, kind of lost touch with it and and you know did more adult things and less less geeky fun stuff and then the pandemic happened and I just kind of thought you know what what interests can I explore now that I'm sort of in a house by myself and so I I went back through the Rolodex on my brain and I was like you know Dungeons and Dragons I I've been wanting to get back into it it's been a long time and so I watched a lot of streams and I read a lot of books and I thought you know, maybe now is the time to start writing again, you know, writing like I always love to do and, and creating D&D books. And, and I was thinking, you know, maybe if I didn't binge watch a season of this show or that show, I could take that time that I was going to apply to binging a show and apply it to, you know, maybe creating a book that would stand the test of time, you know, long after I'm gone, people could use the book or read the book and have fun with it. And, you know, even if I just did one book, it would be an accomplishment, something to look back on, something to show my friends. So that's kind of how it, it morphed into, into books. And I had already been doing the YouTube channel, so they kind of uh, joined forces. And yeah, so now they synergize pretty well together. And it's, it's just a, a huge passion of mine. So yeah, I don't don't see myself stopping anytime soon. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I personally uh, got into D and D with uh, with my mom. Funnily enough, oh. <laughs> awesome. That's that's cool. Do you have a preferred edition you like to work with? So I I mean I I really enjoy first and second as far as just like looking at the stuff because it it brings back a lot of nostalgia for when you know I first got introduced but I I love fifth edition I feel like it's really streamlined and it it's really easy to engage with at least in my opinion so I I would say first second and fifth are my my favorite I do enjoy third but I really wasn't playing in third and fourth so. Oh, you know, I look at those with interest and, in, you know, in the topic, but not really like, like a personal connection to them. So, okay, that 
that does make sense. Um, I, what about uh, you? Do you have a preferred edition? Oh, for me, it would have to be a straight-on tie between 3-5 and 5th. Gotcha. 3-5. Yeah, 3-5 is very popular. <laughs> yeah, it's it's actually the edition I learned to play on. Gotcha. I kind of stepped away for a while when 4th came out, and it and I just did not mesh well. Yeah, I've heard a lot of criticisms of 4th, and, you know... Some of it sounds like it would be problematic stuff, but yeah, I just haven't really delved into it or even tried to play it. So, yeah. so I can't speak from personal experience, but, but I'm not surprised hearing you say that. <laughs> yeah. Basically, a lot of stuff was on cooldowns it didn't need to be on. Yeah. That's not good. Right. So for somebody just getting into your, into your books, where would you suggest they uh, start? Yeah, I guess it just depends on what they're interested in. I would say the Van Richten's Librem of Lineages is a good one because it's got a low price point. So it's it's a really small investment to check it out. And I think it's just a lot of fun because if you're not familiar with the lineages concept, it's it's basically an alternative to the race uh, part of D&D. So instead of choosing a race, you might choose a lineage or you might already have a race and decide to switch over to a lineage. And what yeah. my or or a lineage happens to you. Yes, yes. Or it's foiced upon you. And it's I, up to you to deal with it. <laughs> yeah. Which is one of the things that I love about that concept. And when I was writing the book, I was trying to time it with the release of Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. And I actually released it the day before. And Van yeah. Richten's Guide to Ravenloft is like the first book to have those full-on lineages in it. And so I was excited to have four additional ones at the same time that they were releasing the three official ones. And it's just such a fun concept because you can do so many things with it. And, you know, like you said, it can be foist on you or it can be something you choose. And it just, to me, is a totally different way to engage in the game and to have like maybe something special going on with your character or even string a couple lineages together, like I talk about in the book, and have maybe multiple experiences that are a little different because there are ways that you could go from one lineage to the next if you use the optional rules that I wrote. Right, right. And I'm always really focused on like the the story parts of D&D. Like, I think the, yeah. the crunchy mechanics bits are fun, too. But the story's yeah. also amazing. And nothing really drives good roleplay. Like, like, a character... Like, something happening to a character... Yes. ...that changes them on a fundamental level. Like having a lineage foisted upon you, and now yes. you have to deal with that. And now everybody else has to deal with you while you deal with that. Totally. And, and the official lineages, they're very focused on, like, physical changes to you. So what I tried to experiment with, with the ones in my book, is what if it relates to an object? So one of the lineages is called a keykeeper... And basically, you're, you're handed this key, and if you touch it, you are connected to it. Like, your soul is connected to this key, and if you lose the key, you have to get it back in 24 hours, or, or you you die. Or you die. <laughs> yes, you're dead. And and so you also get all this knowledge in your mind as soon as you touch the key about, you know, the curse of this key and how you need to find what's called the home lock. And once you put it in the home lock, you're free of the curse. And so you want to try to put the key in various locks that you encounter. And there's just a lot of fun kind of lore to these lineages. And, and like you, that's my favorite part. Like I really connect emotionally with with D and D, so I put a lot of like story, even if it's just in my head behind the stuff. But I try to get it on the page with the lineages, you know, because I just think it's fun. It, it's just something that sticks with you, as opposed to like roll one d six. I mean, that's cool too, but it's just not. There's a distance between it and you, as opposed to if you lose your key, you die. I mean, everybody can relate to fear of death, you know, so... Yeah, and um, there are no con saves. Spare the dying will not help you. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. You're you going to need ma major help to survive that. You yeah. are meeting your maker sooner rather than yes. later. <laughs> yeah. What's, what's always, what to me, proposed a very interesting concept regarding the lineages is mm -hmm. a character that is part of a lineage, but unaware of it. Yeah. No, for sure. 
Like, they do not know what... They believe themselves to be a perfectly normal member of whatever race they started out as, but they really aren't. (laughs) No, totally. There's really a a lot of options with this mechanic. And in fact, I I was working today on a brand new lineage for my next book and (laughs) it's, it's, I'm just excited by it. I I feel like (laughs) over time it's going to become a treasured mechanic. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Kind of, kind of like the whole backgrounds thing. 5e debuted. Like nobody was really sure about them to start, but then once you kind of got your hands on the full book and you were able to look at them and see, okay, here's how these can help you build your character, kind of shape them and give them little things that help the party out. Mm -hmm. Well, and and just, just the role play angle. Like if you think about it, I mean, yeah, there are maybe races that don't get along and they have like some, some conflicts between various races, but with lineages, you kind of can be cursed with them. And so you have this sort of an eight, challenge this innate conflict of like oh my gosh i have this key and you know i'm scared i'm gonna lose it and i could lose it by being you know kidnapped or captured or in a battle i could drop it i mean you know there's just so many angles you can play and and what i try to do is is have you know represent different types of play so some people might be like cavalier about it like i don't care if i lose the key it's my time to go if i you know or they might be you know super precious with it and hide the key and not even tell people they have it you know so so if it's a if i for me it's a if i lose a thing i'm dead that's definitely a put it on a chain put the Mm -hmm. chain around my neck (laughs) right yeah and then it's like that you're not (laughs) Yeah. It, and, if and you misplace just, it that way, you have to be actively trying. Exactly. Yeah, and there's three other lineages in the in that book, and they're all very different, and they all have kind of um, some of them are physical transformations, some are like that where there's there's two that are associated with objects, another one has to do with a book. It's called the book bearer, and it's it's fun too because you're kind of you have to carry around this book and you have to record information for Mephistopheles, and if you know. It's just all kinds of stuff going on. Lots of burdens on you that that are easy to work into your dialogue in the game, and and for the DM to mess around with. And just I don't know. I'm excited. Obviously, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's good that you're excited about what you about what you've created. My personal sort of favorite from a storyteller's perspective of the sure. canonical lineages is the one that ties to hags. Yes. Hexblood. Yeah. Yes. I, I was drawing a blank on yeah. the name, but I knew what they were. Yeah. yeah. Hexbloods are interesting because for me, then, as the DM, because I have been on both sides of the screen, mm-hmm. as sure. it were, as the DM, I can then play with there will be people who know what you are yes. and will re and may not know you are disavowed from your hag creator and they will react accordingly to you and depending on how open you've been about your lineage with the party you may have to answer some tough questions oh for sure i mean it's just the role play potential with these it's built in it's baked into these you have so many angles and i mean the races do too but it's just well-trodden territory right and so and you can still have some of that because physically you may still look like an elf or still look like a tiefling or whatever but you have this lineage layered on top of it and it's just really opening up opportunities for the dm and the player to have this rich rich deep story and that's just that's amazing to me yeah for me it's yeah i just think it's neat like everything about it and i know you forgive me life's had me kind of busy so i haven't really been able to browse your your other works but they all look very much like labors of love definitely that you know to me it's like I see these books as building a brand and what I want that brand to be is inclusive, balanced, creative, and quality. Those are like my four mission statement things that I want each of my books to have. 
and I won't rest until that happens. Even if I don't break even on a book, I don't care as long as I hit those qualities because I want people to feel good when they purchase one of my books that 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 they can count on those things that they're that I'm going to deliver those things, and you know, it's 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 just worth it to me. I mean, you know, people talk to me and they say, well, "Why didn't you just start with Kickstarter?" And I thought, I don't want to start with Kickstarter. And people be like, "Who even is this guy?" Yeah, he does YouTube, but why does he think he can do a book, right? I wanted to maybe have some books out there that people can can latch onto and look at it and judge for themselves whether maybe I would be worth backing in a, kickst- a Kickstarter, you know? Have um, your have a resume before you start. Yeah. Have a quote-unquote resume before you start going, hey, look at this thing. Look what I found. <laughs> totally. I mean, I was fortunate that, you know, in my career. I had worked in traditional publishing for 10 years and I have a degree in English and all that stuff. So it wasn't a foreign space for me to start working in the publishing arena, you know, to do this. It's the first time I've ever like self-published, but, you know, as far as the, the software and like the steps to do it and all of those things I was familiar with. And, and um, it helped me too when I got to Potions Unlocked because that was the first book that I did that was print on demand as well as as digital and and you know there's thing there's this concept of a bleed which is when you print a book the printing press can actually move the paper slightly so if you don't include a bleed in in what they call your layout you can have all of a sudden this white edge where you didn't intend there to be one like the art just moves and it just looks odd because there's this extra little white strip on it and so because I'd worked in publishing, I knew when I was preparing the files to leave a bleed and to let the art run off the page a little bit so that in the event the paper moves while it's printing, you don't get those those kind of mistakes that people will notice and go, oh, that's weird. So it definitely helped me. I do like little bits and bobs of homebrew here and there, mostly to just like fill in the gaps for some world building. Yeah. It's like, okay, here I am. This bit makes no sense with things as written. Excuse me while I quietly add a thing here where this makes sense now. <laughs> you know, I love that, that, that initiative that you're taking and creating as you go. I mean, that's not only one of the creative parts of the game and the opportunity that the game presents to you, unlike, you know, Monopoly. It's, I mean, you could homebrew for Monopoly, but it's just, it's not... An environment that lends itself to homebrew and i love to hear stories of people homebrewing because to me that is a first step to potentially you know publishing something of your own um yeah. you know because it's it's really just to normalize that or partner with somebody here with the world or as a lot of people do you know they do share it online and give away their their homebrew too which is also awesome because i i really love the community i love hearing about other creators, talking about other creators. Every week I do a, a, an episode of my on my channel on YouTube where I go through 20 new releases from DMs Guild and 20 new releases from DriveThruRPG for, for Dungeons & Dragons. And I just talk about them. I show those new releases and it's exciting to me because, you know, I know that a lot of these people are just doing it because they love it. They're not doing it to make money. And, you know, there's so many new releases that that front page on these sites just changes so quickly that it's really hard for people to find something that came out last week. And so I thought by doing like a video series, I could capture that so that maybe even later somebody would find that one book that they really wanted and never would have seen had they not found my video. So, you know, and and just, just to expose people to creators maybe they didn't think of is by watching these videos that I'm making. So, you know, I love I love that. I love that everybody's kind of a little bit of a creator with this stuff. And yeah. It's yeah, I'm I, I'm fond of talking about Dungeons and Dragons as a game where anything can happen. You know, people have these sort of expectations that they latch on to about, oh well, the game is this and it's not that. And it's like, you know. Dungeons and Dragons is so flexible that it can really be whatever you want it to be. I mean, if you want to make a parody setting and use the rules of 5e, you can. There's nothing stopping you. And so I really, I get inspired seeing what people are doing with these rules that they were just kind of a run-of-the-mill thing. Like, 
oh, you get this potion, you drink it, it's gone, you get, you never think about it again. And it's like, I thought, why, why is it like that? Why does it have to be that way? Why can't a potion be like the most interesting thing that happened in the session? <laughs> you know, so I thought, let me just take something that I think is boring in the game and its furthest potential. And so I really said, what, what other aspects of potions can I talk about? I can talk about how they taste, how they smell, how they were created. And so that got me into the lore part that you you were talking about that you like. And what I did is like, it even exists. What was the original need for this potion? And in that story, there's various characters. And if you read the whole book, if you read all the stories, they kind of tie together a little bit. I call it like a you know Marvel Cinematic Universe. There's little crossovers and little references to each other, some of the same places some of the same people so you kind of can stitch together a whole almost a novel if you read all the little little stories but beyond that like just thinking of how could they go even further so you know typical potions are a single use so in in, in potions unlocked i have an optional rule which is servings and that each potion has serving sizes so a lot of the potions in the book are three to five servings so you can use them multiple times and then of course any of the official 5e or just a single serving so that they maintain, you know, they don't, the book doesn't contradict official, you know, 5e stuff, but the ones in the book give you more options because maybe you can now choose to uh, drink the potion five times yourself, or maybe you drink it once and then four members of your party drink it. And then what happens, right? So it's about stretching those boundaries and saying, potions don't have to be boring. They can be fun. They can be different. And I really hope like my dream with that book is that people read it and they take some of the optional rules and they create potions that have servings and that use some of these optional rules too, because there's room for everyone. There's room for everybody's ideas, your homebrew, my, my books, you know, whatever's out there. Yeah. And I really enjoy hearing people talk about things they're excited about. Awesome. I don't know. This is just, I feel like everything's come together with this for me. There's a lot of things in life that I love. I like, I think I like too many things, you know, like I like all these geeky things like anime and video games and comic books and movies and sci-fi TV shows. And I mean, you name it, I like it. There's, it's, it'd be easier to tell you what I don't like than what I, what I do because I have too many interests, but this particular thing of doing books it just, it ticks all the boxes for me. It's, you know, I love the writing. I love the layout. I love the editing. I love the the promotion of the books. I love the, you know, talking to people that have maybe read the book, you know, doing podcasts. I mean, there, there really is no part of it that I don't like. And when, when I realized that, I thought, okay, I'm doing the right thing <laughs> because if every bit of this does not feel like work, then that's, that's the correct thing to do, you know, at least with my free time. I, I, you know, it's, it's not what I get to do all day. Maybe someday, you know, maybe someday with Kickstarters or other things, I'll, I'll have that opportunity to, to do this, you know, a lot more of the time, but um, right now it's, it's something that, you know, I do on the side and, and, but Hey, it, it brings me a lot of joy. So I'll take it. Yeah. So another sort of D and D question. Favorite character class? <laughs> Wizard. I am just, I love magic. I love spells. I have, you know, when I was younger, I would sit there and I would write down every spell name and make my own little like lists and, and spiral notebooks, or I would type them up on the computer and I would be like, okay, I have all these books. I'm going to like alphabetize all the spells. And <laughs> cause I just, I was just so into it. I just thought it was the coolest thing because, you know, ostensibly, you know, a wizard is not born with their power, right? They, they make it happen for themselves. Just like, you know, I'm talking about with these books, I'm making it happen for myself. And so I just identify with people that take life by the reins and say, I'm going to just make it happen. I'm not going to sit here and wait for it to happen or somebody to hand it to me. I'm going to make it happen. And so I always feel like the wizard, yes, they, you know, they, they're relying on magic, but they had to train, they had to study, they had to get access to these spells. They didn't just get born with it. And this is not a knock on sorcerers. I think sorcerers are awesome too. It's just, you know, when I started D&D, &D, there 
was no such thing as sorcerer. So I I just, you know, I kind of gravitated toward this. And I've always like, if you look at what I play in video games and stuff, I'm I'm a more of a ranged person. I'm not really uh I'm not much of a of a of a melee person. Like, you know, just in the games I play. I, I like those kind of characters. It's just not what I gravitate toward. Right. My preferred classes have to be kind of a a three-way toss-up between a rogue, a druid, and sorcerer. Those are all fun. Yeah. And I, I, I think 5e is great because it does have that diversity of classes. You know, earlier editions, did, you know, I guess some of them did, but but it was just different. And I like kind of how they found a spot for all these classes that you have in 5e. Lots of different play styles are represented. Yeah. I like druids because they're very much kind of a Swiss army knife of classes. Like you play a druid, you can then kind of tool them to fit whatever the party doesn't have. You don't have a healer. Druids can heal. You don't have a ranged DPS. Druids can do that. Don't have a frontline tank. Hi, wild shape exists. <laughs> totally. And wild shape is so fun. And then just, just the angle that they come at it from nature, you know, like it's just different than everything else. I, I just, I don't know. They're fun. I, I like writing about Druid stuff. I tried with the stories and potion on potions unlocked to represent a lot of the classes in the stories. Like you'll have, you know, stories where there's, you know, like this elf ranger and then another story will be about a, a druid circle. And, you know, I try to, to sort of space it out so that all the, cl- and, you know, cause I could have written them all from the wizard point of view, but it's just like, you know, I want my audience to, to connect and maybe, maybe there's certain classes that they're more into than, than a wizard. Right. So there's there's quite a lot of stories from different angles in there and i like that right one of the interesting things i really liked about five about three five was that everybody like every five levels got another attack action mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i was playing a three five i was running a three five campaign and i'd gotten everybody as high a level as one could go without going into multi-classing and from there, I, I just like, and I'm presented with an enemy wizard. I would like to use every single one of my actions to do a fireball. Of course you do. Go <laughs> right ahead. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny. There's just certain standards like fireball, you know. It's it's kind of a standard for a caster because of how effective it is as crowd control. Yes. yes. Casters are great for crowd control, both party side and opponent side. When I say crowd control party side, I mean stuff like heals, buffs and debuffs, that sort of thing. Oh, for sure. One of the great things for me about doing uh, D&D is uh, it gives me ideas for characters to draw. Oh, yeah. Like, I think I, think I have a few here on my yeah just the the idea of like i'm gonna do just like like drawing characters interacting just characters on their own is like okay here's a reference for what this character looks like at this level totally i whenever i start a character i always do like a quick little like okay as the stats come together here's what this character looks like that's awesome. For example, I have a rogue character in the uh, Dice Sesh podcast, Ava, uh, who's high strength, high dex, and is a uh, an archer, so I draw her kind of, like, she is visibly athletic, but she's still very sort of small and lean and quick on her feet. <laughs> like That's awesome. Which is kind of how an archer should be, in my mind. Like, you are able to get where you need to be on the battlefield right the heck quick. <laughs> yes. Well, what you're talking about is really cool because what it shows is that you recognize what inspires you to draw. And as an artist, that's really important is for us to notice what inspires us. And for me, it's visual things like 
I can just flip through a gallery of an artist or, you know, even an art book and I'll just get flooded with ideas of like, you know, even, even a horrible painting in a doctor's office, like I can look at it and go, what's the story behind that painting? Like, why does that house, you know, why does this cabin have a singular light on, you know, and it's snowing outside, what's going on in there, you know, and I write this whole story in my head while I'm waiting on a doctor or whatever, right? You know, and it's like, it's, it's, I, I learned that about myself. And so that step of learning that about yourself means that you can then take the next step which is harnessing that and triggering inspiration when you need it and so now if i'm i'm kind of not in a headspace where i have inspiration to write or to do something i there's a couple of things i'll do because music is also an inspiration i will listen to some music or i'll flip through an art book or i'll flip through you know some sort of images on online or I'll even go out into the real world and look at some place new, you know, take a take a day trip somewhere and just look at the scenery and see what creeps into my mind as a result. And sometimes it's not immediate. Like I might, you know, take a day trip and then like two or three days later, I'm like thinking about some random thing I saw there and it's triggered sort of this this cascade of story ideas. And because I do write things beyond beyond D&D, but, you know. It's, I love that you're talking about that and that, you know, the, the listeners can maybe think about that for themselves and like start to yeah. maybe notice what inspires them. Yeah. For example, the campaign Ava, the character I was just talking about is in the DM is using the uh, Theros book. So everything is very sort of Greek inspired. Sure. So I've been awesome. looking at, and because the character used to be a, a soldier before adventuring happened. And it is very much for her, a adventuring happened. She's supposed to be on leave right now. <laughs> it's like, you look like you need a vacation. This is my vacation. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so I've been looking That's at... That's a good backstory. Yeah, so I've been looking at stuff like... what, Looking at stuff like uh, ancient Greek uh, hoplite armor. Uh, what sort of materials was available at the time for like what her weapons are made out of yeah and that's a that's a good you know sort of adi addition to this conversation because research can then further your inspiration and further your ideas because maybe you start somewhere with like you know okay it's theros and that gets you your your creative juices going but then the research of like looking into like what kind of armor types did they wear and stuff like that that can that can lead you down a road of like maybe a new armor type design that you would draw or or if you're a dm create uh you know with homebrew um so it's good it's good that we're talking about this because maybe some of the people listening will will be inspired as well yeah and and I actually had to and when doing various art and when doing art for her at different levels I've actually had to look up like like what art technique would I need to do to replicate this effect because she's over the course of her adventures she's received a uh, an item the the DM kind of homebrewed together oh nice and it has a visual effect to it and I had to look up at, okay how the heck do I make how do I make it do that in the drawing mm -hmm. software I have that's awesome so you're like learning new drawing techniques at the same time as like playing the game. I mean, and getting inspiration for stuff for ways to draw the different characters. It's yeah. D and D is kind of a game for anybody who's got a creative streak in them. Yeah, it's it's a playground. It's a it's a safe place to, you know become familiar with your creative instincts yeah you know, and 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 maybe even ease into a into a new kind of into a side of yourself you don't really explore that often exactly because you know there's a difference between deciding to get up on a stage and perform in a play and doing a little bit of performance at a table in a game because just just the word that it's a game can create a certain level of relaxation about it. Like it, this isn't, you're not competing for an Academy Award. This is just a casual environment to explore your creative side. And I, I do, I love hearing about people that maybe take it further and try some other aspects yeah. of their life to be creative, whether it's acting or something. 
Ava, my character, she's at, in her unit. She's actually a scout. So I've been putting... T and it, would, it made sense in my head for a scout to have a little journal of things of interest that they've seen that they've written down to report back. And, no, totally. And if... A play, and I've actually been working up something for where if a player go, another one of the players goes, says that their character would like to go through Ava's uh, little notebook. I'm actually working on writing something up where there's actually where I can send them a Google Doc link, and there's actually something for them to look at. That's awesome. And I, it's I, also handy for me to keep notes of the events that have happened, people, the players people the characters have met because nobody wants to stand stand there and realize my character knows what they're what this person's talking about i as the player am drawing a complete blank help me <laughs> no totally you just never know that the thing about you know a typical board game is you have sort of a map that you're following and you go you know you you pass go and you you collect two hundred dollars and all that monopoly but in dnd you can go in any direction as long as your dm allows you to and and so the fact that you prepared for an eventuality that may not come is great because it's a good creative exercise i mean even if it never gets discovered by anybody else it informs your character and there's tons of actors that will actually journal as their character and it never sees the light of day nobody ever but you know, I've done it when I've acted in the past, and it 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 just informs you. It enriches your experience because you can kind of put yourself in in their shoes for a moment, and and also just the the prop idea of it because you could you could do it as a written journal too. And I really love props in D and D because I think it helps because not everybody's like a an auditory person or a visual person. Some people like to be hands-on, you know, that's kind of their preferred method for engaging in the world or learning. And so props kind of open the door for people that are at your table that maybe that's their preferred learning style. And so in Potions Unlocked, I put in there this, this magic item called the Rainbow Rack. And it's this rack that has five test tubes and they each automatically refill at the beginning of the day, except for the middle one, which is always empty. And the notion is, is that you can drink from one of the one of the test tubes or you can use that middle empty test tube to mix them together and the way i designed it i use traditional food colors so that if you wanted to take some basic test tubes and use some food colors and water you actually have that on your table and when it was time to choose to mix or drink them you could you know is you know if you use real water, of course, and all that good stuff, you could actually have this magic item on your table and say, I'm going to drink the green potion, you know, and actually act it out a little bit and engage with it. And it was when I came up with that idea, I was so excited because I was like, this is cool. I want to have things for people of different, you know, different learning styles. I'm a very like I learn best just listening. That's why I love podcasts. But I'm also a visual person. Like I get inspired by images, as we talked about. But I don't want to forget about people that are maybe more hands-on or, you know, a different learning style than me. Right. Right. Yeah. And something I've found that's really good about like give from the DMS perspective, giving your players like, here's an item. What does it do? Well, you can observe that it does this. Uh, yeah. What else are you going to find out about it? And there's always going to be the player who's like a little bit cautious about it and isn't really going to interact with it too, too much. But generally to compensate, there's a player who's like, I'm going to poke it. <laughs> if you have a character like that, be very careful regarding cursed items. Yes. So yeah, with Potions Unlocked, I, I thought, you know, not only are these stories fun to read, but it gives the DM something to do because they can, they could, it, like, for example, if you're buying the potion, the DM could have the, the, the vendor sort of tell you the history of the potion. How did, you know, oh, did you know that this potion, it, it saved this village back in the past and, you know, go into the whole story that I wrote, you know, and, and, you know, it's just, again, unlocking those possibilities. That's why I called it 
potions unlocked is like let's just see what else we can do with this stuff and i'm i'm actually i have other ideas for things to unlock in D D. and if anybody listening or even you monster review girl have ideas of things in D D that need some love that are kind of run-of-the-mill and boring let me know because i'm collecting ideas of future books in the unlocked series where i can do that a thing that i've always liked to kind of play around with is whenever i have a character that is like a that has the guild artisan background and they're a spellcaster not necessarily a wizard or a sorcerer but like maybe you have a cleric who before they heard the call of whatever god they serve was a tailor or a blacksmith not necessarily forge domain but in my mind there should be a way for them to like put some of their magic into their craft that doesn't oh, require that. a that doesn't require a visit to an enchanter because that's just that to me that seems like extra steps that don't really make sense to be there. It's no, like, totally. It's like it's like if if you trained for twenty years to play the violin. And then all of a sudden you got some power, whether it was through divine means or magical means, like, why wouldn't you be able to marry the two? Like, you, you, you know, the ins and outs, you, you know, you've got your 20,000 hours, you're an expert in violin. So why not? And that's, yeah. that's a great area. That's a great area to explore. Like maybe the first thing that came to my mind when I said a cleric who was also a, uh, a tailor or a seamstress or whatever word you like to use. Yeah person who makes clothes <laughs> yeah is like stitch, is like a set some of the power is like a set of ceremonial vestments that function that are functionally very much like protective armor like like putting into the fabric assorted uh, protective spells which i think clerics can learn <laughs> or like Don't. or like if you're a druid a certain high level druids oh here's the player's handbook i have it open right here always have the player's handbook open when you're talking D, &D stuff because if you get it wrong you'll find out <laughs> and look like a complete when you do so. For example, let's say you have a uh, a jeweler, someone who makes jewelry, who used to be a druid. No, that's the other way around. Somebody who is a druid who used to make jewelry. Nothing should be able to stop them from making jewelry that has druid spells stuffed in them for emergency use. <laughs> yeah. I mean, similar to like an arcane focus, but you know, you know, it's it's something they have a connection to. But you're taking it, you know, a step further, and I I love that. I mean, I you know, I I would when I wrote all these stories for these potions, I could have just said a potion maker did this, a potion maker did this. But I was like, what other professions could have been involved in creating some of these potions? Right? It's not always a profession, but like you know, I've got apothecaries in there. I've got one of one of them is it's for this potion called siphon serum, and the story is that there's this young woman and her father owns a, a store where he sells these shrunken heads in these little jars to tourists. And she's kind of disturbed by it all. And she starts studying potions and things like that. And she says, how can I combine all this shrunken head business that we have and magic? And so she finds a way to turn, you know, putting a shrunken head into a potion to give different effects. And, and that particular potion behaves differently depending on the, the shrunken head that you put inside the, the the jar that has the potion. And so it came from a place of like, into what life has this potion come? You know, my favorite writing teacher ever, he his phrase used to be, you know, into, into what life has the story come, you know? And what that means is a story doesn't start just on page one. Like that person was around doing things before this story got here. So let's think about that. Where were they headed? And maybe they went off course because of the story, or maybe they went deep. Right. 
another sort of like way to make things interesting I find is when race and class mesh in ways you don't expect them to. Oh yeah. No, that's a good one. My personal favorite, a character that has yet to see the light of day in a campaign, but so they're a uh, elven uh, artificer. Mm. And the way I imagine a lot of their uh, creations is that they're very sort of sleek, elegant, very nature-inspired. Artistic. Yeah. Yeah. They still do exactly what you want them to do, but they're also fancy. <laughs> yeah. No, I like that. It's, you know, it's that whole concept of, like, technology being indistinguishable from magic. After a, at a certain point. Yeah. So, I love it. I, uh, in all honesty, to get inspirations for some of the, for some artificer contraptions, uh, I haven't played an artificer in a campaign yet, but if I ever get to, to, like, get inspiration, I'm gonna just sit down and watch a couple episodes of, uh, the early seasons of Mythbusters. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, just, no, totally. Just those bonkers contraptions. Yes, I like it. It's a good one. <laughs> yeah, I was speaking about backgrounds earlier, but backgrounds can and backgrounds can also create interesting party interactions, which I think is kind of half the reason they exist. Mm -hmm. Like the. The, ta the character with the tailor or seamstress background I mentioned earlier. Let's say a character has a article of clothing that's very important to them and it gets damaged. The tailor character can repair it and then kind of improve, improve as if they were bad, but like increase good relations with the other character. Because like you have taken some of your time and fixed something incredibly important to me. Yeah. It's a bond. Yeah, and when and when play and when characters bond, terrifying things happen. For sure. You know, as as somebody who used to act a lot, backgrounds to me are one of the best ways to really get into character because if you look at just the on the surface the language of the background a lot of it is written in statements that begin with i so it frames your mind around i am doing as opposed to the character is doing right and so when you're acting you want to become that character and you know reading something like i you know have a passion for you know dueling with a sword or whatever right you know you can take on that characteristic it can it can become sort of personal for reading as, as opposed to the character doing you know, this passion for dueling it's it's kind of removed right so that's why i love backgrounds and i love writing them because when i'm writing I'm in more of a heart space than a head space. The head space comes after I'm done drafting something. Then I go back and the head space is sort of looking for grammar or looking for mechanical things, but the yeah. head's what I start with so that there's that emotional feeling to it that I can then weave in the mechanics or the kind of functional stuff that also needs to be there for to get the job done. But starting with that heart and just, just letting it flow out and not, not judging yourself, letting it hit the page, just getting it all down, and then you go back and you clean it up later is a good technique. Yeah. First draft, word vomit. Second draft, yes. make it pretty. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And you get better at it over time. I mean, a lot of people don't know where to start. They get, they're scared. They think, oh, I can't do it. And that's just, you know, sort of this inner saboteur trying to stop you, you know, don't, don't listen to it. Just, just do it. The worst that could happen is you, you know, you spend a little time and you got a little bit of experience and, and, you know, you know more than you knew when you started and, you know, you can always leave what you wrote for a week or two and go back and look at it with fresh eyes and, and, you know, just don't yeah. be too hard on yourself. You know, there's always something that you can salvage from, you know, even a page full of stuff. There's, there may be just one sentence that just jumps out that you, you've, you've polished and now you have that and you didn't have it before. Yeah. So don't be afraid. Yeah. Never be afraid to try something new. Who knows? Yeah. It may 
it may there might be a little bit of magic happening there. Yeah, it's it's just like we talked about earlier with D&D being that gateway for people to really express parts of themselves that maybe they're afraid to outside of the, the notion of a game, you know? And so I, I get encouraged by that. I, I think people need, you know, people that don't play D&D maybe need to recognize that a little bit more. This is something that can really help people grow, help people learn more about themselves and just can be just such a source of fun and joy. Yeah. And even if you, the thing is, everybody gets emotionally invested in their character. Even if the character starts out as like, even if the character starts out as like a joke or a parody, they, you always end up getting attached to them and they end up getting deeper than you thought they'd be. (laughs) Oh, totally. And you never know where they'll go. And that's, that's the fun is like the journey. They say it's not the destination, it's the journey, right? And so just enjoying all those moments, the twists and turns and the learning, and it's okay to be uncomfortable and, and you know, to not have sure footing with your character at first, you know, that that can lead to some interesting role play, you know? You can play that. You can play that your character's uncomfortable and unsure of themselves and then watch over as they level up how do they be, go from, you know, maybe an unsure person to maybe a more confident person? And then, you know, what did you learn about yourself playing that? And what can you take from it? What lessons can you take from it? Yeah, it's it's always interesting. What, in my mind, can be really fun is figuring out how to word something when the players know what it is. But the characters really have no idea what on earth they're <laughs> looking at. Yeah. Like, for example, yeah. you have a character who's been landlocked their entire life and has never been on an ocean before. Now they're in the ocean, and you have to describe various ocean life to them that they've never seen before. Mm-hmm. And then you get yeah, to play around with that, or erase the ki- the the player the character has never seen before, or even just an environment they haven't seen before. And I know that last one sounds silly, but sometimes when you've lived in one particular type of biome your entire life, coming to another one. Y- you find yourself not having words for it. No, totally. What you're describing is perfectly, you know, makes sense. It's, it's connecting with your inner child and saying, okay, how did I feel the first time I saw an ocean and how can I let, you know, sort of be a conduit and, and, and bring back up all that emotion I felt the first time. Um, and that's what actors do. I mean, they have to, they have to engage with these green screens and people wearing green suits and, you know, uh, and a tennis uh, ball on a stick. that's yeah, going to be a dragon. Yeah. That's Godzilla there. No, it's a tennis ball on a stick. No, it's Godzilla, you know, and, <laughs> pretend, and so you have, it's, pretend yes. it's the irradiated iguana. <laughs> yes. And when you first start training to be an actor, I mean, one of the things they tell you is think about make-believe when you played make-believe as a child, like, you know, you imagined you were whatever, you know, uh, you know, uh, a business owner or whatever, whatever you imagined you were, you know, it's, it's no different than that. You're imagining that you are fighting Thanos or whatever, you know, and, and so D and D is no different when you, when you go to a new landscape that you haven't seen, you can, you can, you can practice some of this stuff and, and you might find that you love it so much that you want to try actual acting, you know, in an acting environment. And, or, you know, I also think, you know, we're doing a lot of talking about acting. It's okay. If you're a player who really wants to keep a distance between you and your character. And if you want to just even narrate in the third person and say, you know, my character does that and my character says this and goes over here. It's okay. Cause sometimes it can be too personal or too close and, and that's fine. And you know, yeah. there's room for, ev- there's room for everybody. So if you're that, so I'm by no means saying everybody needs to be Shakespeare <laughs> with it. I just like talking about it. Cause, cause that's kind of my background, but it's a but thing that I, excites you and helps you engage with the material. There's yeah, nothing yeah. wrong with talking about it. Yeah. Or getting uh, I, excited yeah. about it. 
but I do think it's good to make sure people know it's okay if you're a player that that maybe don't let that stop you from playing D and D if you if you feel like you're not going to be able to do the voice and do all that stuff. It's okay, you can enjoy the other people doing that, and you can just kind of narrate what's happening with your character. And maybe yeah. someday you will stretch and try that. That's fine. Yeah, you know what whatever works for you. For example, I've played male characters, and I yeah. do not have the range to do a voice for a male character without them sort of straddling the line of androgyny. Not, yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just like, sometimes that just doesn't suit the character. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, if you think about like an audiobook, right? They don't usually have full casts for these audiobooks sometimes, but it's it's usually one person reading all the characters in the book, and they have to read male, female, and other other genders. And As so, you know, they just do the best they can. They put on a little bit of a flavor. It doesn't have to be exact, just enough to be different and to say, okay, you know, when that voice is coming out, it's this character, you know? And DMs, I mean, DMs have to play NPCs of all different genders and races, backgrounds. So yeah. it's okay. But yeah, it's especially entertaining for with, with my character, Eva, because there have been occasions where she has disguised herself as a male to get into various locations where she would normally not be allowed access. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> So it's just like, my disguise will be fine so long as I don't talk. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's almost a game within a game sometimes, right? You know? Yeah. It's it's very layered. And and every and every campaign, regardless of how different everybody is, every campaign develops their own inside jokes. <laughs> oh, for sure. It's the game at its core is about having fun, right? And making it's memories. About, yeah, it's about getting together with your friends, regardless of whether it's around a table in a physical store or over Zoom, a, or Zoom, yeah. a Discord call. Whatever. Yeah, and regardless of how you enjoy D&D, playing, DMing, just listening to people do it via a live oh. stream or an archive or writing yeah. content for it, or just reading content, even. I yeah. mean, I've had five afternoons where I just read through... Read through the source books? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's so many ways to engage. Yeah. And every, every way somebody chooses to engage with it is a valid way to engage with it, unless you're, like, yeah. chewing on the book or something. <laughs> Please do not eat your D and D yes. books. They yes. are not fit for human consumption. No, no, and also very expensive. <laughs> yes, oh for sure. Oh god! Like whenever a new D and D book comes out, I'm like, I look at whatever holiday is closest to it, and going, "Honey, this is your present for X holiday." <laughs> <laughs> for example, the Von Richten's book. Excuse me, one. I need to double check what date that came out. Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. What day I'm did it? Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft like released. Yeah, it, it released May. back in May. May. So we were just yeah. like, okay, this is. Is like this is my. It's like. It's like, and this is my Mother's Day present to myself. <laughs> and the next one is going to be on the Feywild. And I'm I'm working on a new book to coincide with that. I'm I'm targeting a release date of either the day before or the same day of a book that's going to have a bunch of stuff for players and a bunch of stuff for DMs. It's going to be like a massive book that has like you know everything you could want to to engage with the Feywild to go along with what they're going to put out. And it's the, the fun. The best part about it for me is that this is the first time I've actually hired additional writers beyond myself. I am writing for the book, but I saw an opportunity to hire some creators. So I was able to hire 14 different writers to participate. And that is a massive, massive accomplishment. Yeah, it's exciting. I mean, I just, I don't know. I, I love this community. I want to help it grow. You know, I, I, you know, I'm hoping I can monetize my YouTube channel so that I can funnel that money into creating more content, which would then maybe lead to hiring more people to work on the books. I like writing by myself as well, 
And some books I will do that, but it's nice when I can engage beyond the artist because I'm always engaging artists because I'm, you know, I'm not a, a like a visual artist. I don't create, you know, paintings or, or anything like that. So I do need to hire, you know, creators for that. But yeah, having having writers is, is a really fun. I'm having a lot of fun with it because I'm not a fay expert, but I've got some fay experts on the team. And so I've got kind of, you know, my right. my perspective on Faye and then I've got the Faye experts and you know yeah. all these contributors and um, I'm just so excited for you to see it yeah I can't wait to see it too and oh good lord I just checked we're we're a little over an hour oh sorry about that it's can, okay can, it's okay I we can, both got excited let's uh we should probably do the uh yeah. wrapping up of things yeah, thank you good. very much everyone for listening I am uh, Monster Review Girl. This is uh, Splinterverse. Uh, thank you very much for listening to us kind of ramble for a bit. Please do yep. check out his stuff on uh, Drive Through RPG and DMs Guild and his YouTube channel. <laughs> yep. You can find me everywhere on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook under Splinterverse. And yeah, hope to hear from you. Right. Thank you all for listening. Uh, bye for now. <laughs>